Okay, before I get to my next guest, Frank Navalo, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Frank Navalo. You can hear Frank broadcasting the game as part of the CBS Sports Golf Team. As you know, he is from Auckland, New Zealand. At the age of 18, he won the New Zealand Amateur Championship, becoming the second youngest player ever to win that title. He turned pro in 1979. His first professional win came at the 1982 New South Wales PGA Championship. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship twice in 1985 and 1987. He joined the European Tour in 1985 and got his first win on that tour at the 1988 PLM Open. Frank finished in the top 50 on the European Order of Merit every year from 1988 to 1996. In all, he won 14 times around the world, including two Sarazen World Opens and the 1997 Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic on the PGA Tour. He played on numerous World and Dunhill Cup teams for New Zealand and was a three-time member of the International President's Cup team. In the mid-1990s, Frank recorded top 10 finishes in all four majors, including a fourth-place finish at the 1996 Masters, a ninth-place finish at the 1994 U.S. Open, tenth at the 97 Open Championship, and eighth at the 96 PGA. Frank joined the Golf Channel back in 2004 and was a lead analyst for their tour coverage, plus their in-studio shows Golf Central and Live From. And I'm honored to have him back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, yeah, it's been a while. So, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Frank. How are you, my friend? Not too bad. I um, I got back uh, this morning, actually, because of the delay. You know, I'm glad we managed to finish on on Monday in, in really what was perfect sunshine in uh, in New York and, and an amazing victory for Tony Fina. It looked like it could have been John Rahm, uh, number one player in the world, the way it looked like he was faultless with about eight holes to go. You know, and Tony kept chipping away at it. Played those last four or five holes just beautifully. And Cameron Smith, too. It looked like that was going to be... I th- we thought we were going to get like another eight-hole playoff. But uh, everybody got out of dodge, so all's good that ends well. So, Frank, I want to get your thoughts on Tony Finau's win. Is this, the, is this the thing that gets him over the hump and into the winner's circle more often? 
Uh, you would think so. There were comparisons earlier in the week, like, should he win? Would this be like David Duvall? And, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that because David was outstanding as an amateur, as we all know. And he got to number one in the world extremely quickly in the Tiger Woods era. So, but, but I think for Tony, with, you know, everybody talks was at 39 top tens and eight runners up. Uh, the fact that he had played Ryder Cup, I, I just think for him, his style of play, um, it's certainly going to open doors. You know, he has that big game. Uh, just listening to Tom, you know, your previous guest, uh, you know, distance has is, is always been important on the PGA Tour, but never more so than now because of the type of golf courses they play, the way in which they're prepared. So, you know, Tony has that, that big game that is perfect for this sort of new millennial golf. Does this make him a lock for the U.S. Ryder Cup team, regardless of what happens in the next two events? Yeah. I would think so, not just because of the win, but, but you know, the, the, the Ryder Cup, you know, the, the majority of, of the points are one in team play. And, um, you know, America sometimes has struggled with an alternate shot, you know, when you're literally playing one ball, you can call it, you know, foursomes. Um, and also even in better ball, uh, you know, you've got to find those right pairings. I mean, there's a lot of people that want to play with Tony, and he now has experience in the Ryder Cup. So a little bit of success. I, I, I think he can play in both formats. Should you need him to play both formats, obviously, as well as the singles. And I think that's why he gets the pick. And Frank, for, for Cameron Smith, I mean, the guy played beautiful golf for 72 holes. Brilliant round on Saturday. He shot a 60 that day. And then birdie four to the last seven holes to get himself into the playoffs. Can he take something away as a positive from all of those positive things? Or does that drive you know into the water in the playoff? Is that the thing that lingers? No, you've got to know Cameron. I actually saw him uh, on Monday night. You know, I, I flew out this morning, as I was saying. And you would, if, if you saw him and stopped and chatted to him for five minutes, you would have no idea that he just lost the biggest tournament that he had the chance of winning. Uh, he has an amazing attitude, and that's one of the reasons why he's been able to, you know, really progress so quickly. I first saw him in the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, which I think was at Nash uh, Nanshan Golf Course in China. And the Australians had, I think it was six players that were allowed there. And he looked the smallest and probably the least most impressive of the lot. And yet he's he's just continued to get better each and every year because he's got that hunger and that competitiveness. Um, to be honest, I actually thought coming down the stretch, his puddle let him down a little bit. But in the end, everybody will think of the driver that uh, that went out of bounds that you've just referred to. But no, he'll, he'll honestly, he'll shake that off. Um, there's some other things that he can look at. Um, you know, 16, he made a, a, just a beautiful pitch shot to get it up and down and guarantee his birdie on the drivable par four. But he had a number of good shots. And and so it's one bad one. Obviously, it's in the playoff. Um, but the, he will flush that out. He's he's a good kid. He's uh, he's like a typical Australian in the sense that, you know, they're up for the challenge. And, uh, you know, Australia hasn't doesn't have the Greg Norman or the Baker Finches, the, uh, you know, some of the players that had of yesteryear. But this new crop is actually pretty good, even as this young kid called Lucas Herbert. It looks like he's going to get his card through the Corn Ferry Tour um, finals. But um, yeah, Cameron, you know, Mark Leishman, they're doing a great job to uh, raise the flag for Australia. What about John Rahm, Frank? I mean, he's a, a guy that had the tournament. looked like he was going to coast to a win, and then a few loose drives on the back nine cost him down the stretch. Does he look at this any differently, or is because he has had such a great season, this is just, you know, hey, this one just got away? No, he's going to be angry, and he should be. Um, he's the best player in the world. Um, I, I think it'd be pretty hard to get people to disagree with that. Would have been his first win since the U.S. Open, but 
it's just the style of game that he plays. I mean, he, he's a great driver of the golf ball. I know he found a couple of fairway bunkers those last couple of holes. Um, he's solid. He doesn't have a weak, and his game translates to you look look where he's played. Um, the, all the big events this year, the Players Championship and the four major championships. He's basically in contention in each one of those. So five totally different golf courses, very, very diverse in the style of play adapted. And he wins his U.S. Open on the biggest track of all, which is, you know, Torrey Pine. So he has a, should have won Memorial, obviously COVID there, and COVID took him out of uh, the Olympics. So if you really put it in perspective and the fact that he hadn't really played over the last month, yeah, he'll be disappointed because he didn't finish the job. But everybody knows he's good enough. Um, you know, he's, you know, we're, we're once again in that sort of era, a bit like what we were, I'm going to say six years ago when Tiger was out of the game. And we saw the Jordan Spees, Justin Thomas, all of them emerge. Well, obviously we're, we're, we're Tigerless again. And John Rahm is one of those ones that really stuck his hand up and said, you know, come get me and I'm the guy to be. Frank Roy McElroy finds himself now on the bubble to make it through to East Lake. He's ranked 28th in FedEx Cup points right now. How big is this week for him? Um, yeah, honestly, I thought he was going to play well these playoffs, but, um, you know, I know he's, he's had some changes in camps. You know, he's worked with Brad Fax in these last couple of years. You know, Brad's tremendous with the putter, but I don't think it's translating well to the way in which Rory putts and approaches to the, the putting. Um, when you look at the way Rory putts, um, and the way the great players like the Nicholases and the Tiger Woods have putted in their careers, you know, they, they don't, you can't just putt like this. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether, whether it misses or not, because these are the guys that are there each and every week. And I know he's hooked up with Bob Rotella as well, who's, you know, good at his job. But sometimes even getting the right people, if they're not the right ones for you, um, and right now it's, it's not showing out there. We've all, you know, you've heard me over the last 10 or 15 years. Rory in full flight is wonderful. But, you know, now it's seven years since his last major championship. I know he's only 31. I mean, he's still incredibly young, but it's frustrating because you see him out there. Um, we talked about John Rahm's bounce in his stride. On, uh, on sun, on Saturday and Sunday when he had the lead. And that's what Rory was always like. That body language isn't there at the moment. I know he's a dad now. He's also the sort of, um, token spokesperson for the PGA Tour, uh, for want of a better term, because, you know, he's very level headed, but, you know, there's a lot of expectations on him. But personally, I just want to see Rory play the golf that he's still capable of. And at the moment, he's not close to that. Frank, I want to take you back to your win on the PGA Tour at the 97 Greater Greensboro Open. You won, you mentioned Brad, Brad Faction. You won that tournament in a playoff over Fax. Um, got into it with a final round 67, which was tied for the best round of the day. What do you remember about that final round and winning that tournament? Um, a lot of things, really. I mean, it's weird. I, I'd won two Sarahs and Opens in Atlanta, and apparently that didn't, uh, against pretty good field. And apparently that didn't count. You know, it was, I feel for a lot of the, uh, foreign players that play over here because their careers to some extent, uh, are apparently non-existent until they actually win a tournament. So there was a little bit of, um, you know, there was a chip on my shoulder, I guess, for that. I played, uh, as you mentioned, you know, in, I think in 96 in the majors, only Greg Norman and, and Nick Felder had lower stroke averages in the four majors in 1996. That's why I took up my card. So to me, you know, I thought I was good enough to win, but I'd just been diagnosed with inflammatory polyarthritis about six weeks before that. And to be honest, I wasn't going to play. And then Ernie else persuaded me. And he said, oh, you know, I think it was at Forest Oaks. He goes, oh, that, that golf course is perfect for you. 
Well, unbeknown to me, um, when I got there, Ernie had never even played that golf course. So um, it sort of wound me up, and it was just a way to get there. And, and then the then the rains. It was one of those things. It turned out to be magical. And 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 then later on the year, I think I I finished second to you know Tiger at uh, the Western Open, and and really had it. Uh, I think I broke the money record technically for rookies, but they wouldn't give it to me because uh, they changed the rule you, if you played more than ten events. But you know it was bittersweet, Chris, really, because you know I'd had the diagnosis that in the end was going to cut my career short. Um, but yeah, I, I remember it now because, you know, I won that. I remember winning in Hong Kong and, uh, Mexico. So, but that was my, my last winning year, really 97. I won three times that, that, that year around the world, but, um, it's good. I, you know, I was back there with the Greensboro people just three weeks ago and, and now fun, you know, we, we get there and, and, uh, you know, Friday night, especially with CBS now, they, we have like a little wine dinner. Um, it's very intimate. It's a lot of fun and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I can actually contribute to the event now in a different way as a broadcaster. But um, yeah, it's it's it, it's good. I, I have the trophy. Um, all my trophies are sort of hidden away because I, I, I uh, if you went around my house right now, you wouldn't think I ever play golf. So the house looks a little different. Wow. And Frank, one thing that people may not know or remember about you and your career, you got hit by an errant golf ball. Just above the left eye one day outside of your home at Lake Nona back in 1998. How much did that impact your career? Um, yeah, that, uh, that along with the uh, diagnosis from the Mayo inflammatory polyarthritis, which in those days with the medication, um, you know, you puff up and, and uh, you know, I developed back issues and that. But yeah, the coup de grace really was I just got married um, in, uh, in the Bahamas in 1998 um, and just came back uh, with my daughter and my wife. And uh, I was getting ready for the PGA Championship, and it's where I live at Lake Nona. And I used to live behind the seventh tee, and I promise you, I, I, four ladies were teeing off, so I thought, I don't want to go down there, I, I might get hit. So it was 5.30 at night, and I had a golf cart with, loaded up with golf balls, and I just wanted to hit some balls in the evening to try and get ready. So I drove across the golf course, and I saw this guy, uh, he was, he's a urologist, believe it or not. Dennis Weaver was his name, and uh, Doc Weaver. And, and he was teeing off, I could see, so I stopped. Anyway, I waited. Then he went back to the golf cart. Well, unbeknown to me, you know, Florida's pretty flat too. Uh, he'd gone back to change dryly and he was, cause it was you know, in the early evening. So there's one little hump in the, in the fairway by the second tee on the car path. And lo and behold, that's where I was. It's about 80 yards off the tee and he beamed me with a driver. He's about a five or six handicapper in those days. Yeah, split it open 30 stitches and it, and it hurt the orbit of my eyes. So, you know, chipping and putting weren't quite the same, but. It took me, I gotta be, I gotta be honest, cause I mean, I was bitter, twisted, and miserable for about 10 years after that, but uh, I'm nearly over it, put it that way. Nearly. <laughs> right now, you're obviously an outstanding broadcaster. I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you get comfortable being in front of the camera and, and being in what, 90 million homes every week? Who said I was comfortable? <laughs> well, you certainly look, I'm still on. No, no, I appreciate that. No, I don't think you, um, it's a bit like golf. You know, if you, if you really knew, I, I remember reading a book, David Llewellyn, who was, uh, Ian Wisdom's partner in the World Cup in Hawaii, uh, I'm going to say 1988, pretty close to there. He gave me a book because called the, uh, the inner game of basketball. And, um, it, it really, it, it's, it's, you know, if, if you knew you were going to make the shot, then you don't have to hit it. So, if you knew you were going to drive it down the middle of the fairway, you really wouldn't have to hit your drive. If you knew you were going to hit the putt and it was going to go, and you really wouldn't have to do it. 
So the reason why you, you actually try and hit the shot is, is because no matter how confident you are, you still got to do it to see if you really could. And, and TV is not that much different. You know, you can try and do all the right things and be prepared. But if you are not sort of shaking your boots in a good way, then you're not ready and you shouldn't be there. I think you, you've got to expect the unexpected. Um, I might look comfortable, but it's, you know, it's the quintessential duck on top of the water. You know, you might be calm, but you're paddling like crazy. Yeah. I, to this day, I've never, I've never felt comfortable before a show. I, and to be honest, I don't want it. Uh, because it, it, it keeps you alert. You know, it's like when you're watching the scoreboard. If you're very complacent, you won't notice that somebody's slipped in three birdies in a row or made an eagle or triple or, or whatever. I actually think that's the beauty of broadcasting, to be honest. I've watched, you know, getting to, to work with Jim Nance, who's, who's the best in the business in that role. I watched him grind last year in the hotel during the pandemic with his, his, uh, statistician, Tommy Spencer going through every conceivable outcome. Um, and obviously, you know, Dustin Johnson was the, you know, was the odds-on favorite to win there, but they went through every scenario, whether their parents could be there, what their names were. You know, you don't get that good by accident. Frank, you talk about prepared. I'm sure it's not as easy as you make it seem, but talk about the preparation and the work you put in while you're waiting, you know, to interview a player after his or her round or when you're calling a tournament, talk about the sort of non-glamorous side of the business and the preparation. <laughs> well, yeah, fortunately, I don't have to interview people like Steve Sands or Amanda Balionis, but, um, you know, I've, I've done a few over the years. I remember actually doing a sit down with Rory and yeah, there's a lot of legwork. You know, I actually found out that Rory, for example, had, you know, three best friends and, you know, you're always trying to disarm someone. It was a long form interview. So I knew he was expecting all sorts of things. And he was incredibly gracious because we were meant to have him for about an hour. It was actually to do with the golf pass when it was first released to the golf channel. I was still working for them. And, you know, once he got comfortable and once, you know, because I knew his parents, I knew stories about them as well. So once it just became about him talking to me um, and he could trust the questions because I'd done my homework. And I took I, one of the questions was literally I, I named the three guys, one of which was Harry Diamond, who's coming from now. I said, if they were here today. You know, what would, what, you know, what would you think that they would say about you? And I said, actually, hang on a minute. Let's reverse that. What would you say about them? So I gave him a chance to at least think about it, but he realized that it was, it was just taking a trip down, um, memory lane. And, and I think that's the best thing. That's what the Amandas and the, and the Steve Stans do so well is, is they really do know the subject. Um, as an announcer, uh, you know, when I did like live froms, it's different. You know, I would look more at the golf point of view from, from like, 5,000 feet, but I think as an announcer, you're trying to, you know, look at them. For example, I always use the, the analogy of Dustin Johnson and Zach Johnson. They had the same surname, but they play golf radically different. So if they had 260 yards into a par five over water, it's a radically different shot for Dustin as opposed to what it is for Zach. And you've got to know that little nuance. So you can't just say, hey, it was a, you know, Dustin might hit it to 30 feet, which is a good shot. If Zach hits it from that distance over water to 30 feet, it's a hell of a shot. So, yeah, it's, it, I, I guess some of it comes to you because you just keep watching. Uh, you know, I'm a viewer as well, so I have the best seat in the house. And, and you know, the first – I know you've interviewed him. The first uh, producer I ever worked with, Keith Hirschland. And I learned, um, he learned – he taught me the right way, I think, and it was the hard way. And then the first host I ever sat next to was Jim Kelly, so he helped. Um, you know, really fine up some things. And Jim's a friend of mine today. He'll ring every now and again and, and well, actually not every now and again on a regular basis. We'll send a text and, and just always sort of 
help point me in, in the right direction. So it's a, it's a lot of help from a lot of good people. Frank, one more before I let you go and talk about the Nabilo Foundation and the work you're doing to help kids around the Orlando area. Yeah, that's uh, my wife. She doesn't get enough credit for that, Selena. Uh, she wanted to contribute to uh, the community. And um, so if she it was actually she wanted to help older people first because she always thought that people turned a blind eye to that. But, you know, there's a lot of um, areas in Orlando. We, we're lucky to live in a very, very good one. But, you know, when you live in a place, we've lived here for, for 26 years now, you want to contribute in more ways than one. So, uh, you know, our foundation is just a school that used to be a Title I school, you know, Title I school that was a, like a D-rated school. It's now like an A or a B-rated school. I haven't seen the last ratings, to be honest. And but the big thing is we started off like uh, our shopping, which is over Christmas. And we just wanted to make sure we could take, you know, kids that wouldn't get a, normally a good Christmas. Um, to, you know, we'd take them to Target because they're associated with us. And it was $100 a child, basically. They could bring their, their other siblings with them. But it's not just that. We would get volunteers to do the shopping with them. And they're people from all sorts of white life, doctors, lawyers, I mean, so for them, it was also helping them because the people that could influence their community, that they were getting to see what these kids were like and how well uh, well taught they were at school, how they were doing. And my wife also has a um, a group of ladies called the Mustang uh, Mentors. They go and they and they read and they assist in the school. So it's not just you know a couple of events and you know wipe your hands and you're done. Um, it's a 12 month thing. I've, I'm incredibly proud of uh, of what she's done. I and mean, we've been going now, I think, 15 plus years. So it's it's a it's a very much a community thing. But, you know, thanks for bringing it up. But uh, yeah, she's she works tirelessly on that, and and I uh, I assist. So Frank, for folks that might want to get involved with the foundation, and then also stay up to date with the other great things you're doing, let them know how they can find the foundation, support it online, and then follow you on social media. Well, yeah, hey, I'm not that good on Twitter these days, so uh, I'm probably the worst follower, really. So uh, you, can, you can hear me on TV, you can yell at me or whatever, but um, the foundation <laughs> is thenovelofoundation.com. Yeah, so hopefully I won't annoy them too much going forward. But, but yeah, I, I have uh, frank underscore novelo.com. Um, sorry, uh, at Twitter, at frank underscore novelo. But, um, yeah, yeah, send me a note. Um, I've actually used Twitter more to catch up with some people over the years, to be honest, but yeah, you know, I, I sadly I'm not a big fan of social media. I think with a lot of things that have, have happened over the especially the last ten or fifteen years, you know, kids, um, you know, the way they feel growing up, um, it, it's if it's used properly, it's a great tool. But sadly, you know, it's like a knife. You know, you can cut a piece of steak with it, but you can kill someone with it. And I just think at the moment we've got to somehow do a little bit, a uh, little bit better with that because you know, kids going through their their early days and teens, it's um, it's 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 sort of a uh, it's not the best things for them right now. Yeah. My thing. Well, Frank, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show. I hope uh, we get the privilege of uh, catching up with you a little bit sooner next time. No, most definitely. Chris, you're doing a great job. I know you're a lover of golf and the game and the people involved. So you're the unsung hero, my friend. Well, actually not unsung. Everybody knows who you are, but they just don't beat your drum enough. So thank you, my friend. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to me. Take care, Frank. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Cheers. That's the great Frank Novello. And again, the Novello Foundation online. Go check that out, folks. Doing great stuff for the kids in and around the Orlando area. 
But uh, Frank is just one of the treasures of the game of golf uh, from his playing days to what we get to uh, watch him do now or listen to him do now and watch um, makes the game so much better. Right. One of the things that uh, that I love about Frank and I love for all those years that uh, another great friend of the show, uh, Ben Wright, did is uh, paint the picture and, and make uh, watching the game so much better and so much richer for all of us based on the content and the way that he frames up the, the tournaments that he does. So Frank's a, a wonderful man, and uh, hopefully we get the privilege of having him back on the show again real soon.